Father, thanks for your word, for the refreshment that it brings us. Lord, may we drink deeply this morning as we look at this book of Hebrews. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, my friends. Uh, welcome to 2023. As I drove here this morning, I'm like, I was depressed, not quite. But uh, I'm like, there's no cars, it's gray. I'm like, I don't sleep in much, but I thought, this could be a good morning. Anyway, <laughs> it was like, whoa. But anyway, so uh, let, let me begin. We want, we're going to look at Hebrews 12, as John read. And uh, let me begin with a story. In October uh, of this year, I got a chance to visit a place. It's called Cape May, New Jersey. If you ever want a place for a vacation, please go the tip of Jersey, Delaware Bay, Atlantic Ocean. And uh, the reason why I went, it was my 50th anniversary. That's how old I am. And when I say 1972, you can laugh. That's what happened last time when I said something that old. Uh, <laughs> but it was my 50th anniversary of going to boot camp at Cape May, New Jersey as a 19-year-old. I turned 19 in boot, uh, in boot camp. So I went. I wanted to go and just... I've been there many times since then, but just go visit because that's where, uh, that's a place that's shaped and formed me in many ways, most for the good. So, but, um, and then it was also the 30th anniversary of my serving there as a chaplain uh, in the Navy who assigned there to the Coast Guard. And while I was there, I got a chance to go into the chapel where I preached for three years, met the, one of the new chaplains, and I explained who I was and just that I'm, you know, there just having a walk down memory lane, and he goes, hey, he goes, you want to talk to some recruits? I'm like, yeah. I said, why? He said, because that Thursday, uh, they came in halfway through their eight weeks of training for a pep talk, because they're halfway through, and they're not in good shape. They're tired. They got every crud known to man. I mean, they smell. It's just unbelievable, and uh, so uh, I said, sure, and uh, so as they came in, they coughed. As I said, they smelled, they did the head bob, which is typical in boot camp, because as soon as you sit down, you start falling asleep, and uh, it's just part of, the, part of what it is. And that was two in the afternoon. The purpose, as I said, of the class was to encourage them to continue on. Uh, four weeks down, four to go. And I said to them the same thing that I said for three years when I was there, that the most important lesson they would learn in boot camp, besides the pointy end is the bow, that's the front of the boat, the square end is the stern. Port is left, four letters left. So, you know, you get that one. Starboard is the right-hand side of the boat, is that you will learn not to allow your emotions and circumstances to control you because you cannot let that happen when you get to the fleet, when you get to a small boat station. Wherever you're going to go, you're going to be placed in circumstances that are going to blow your mind. They'll be there for 10 minutes, and they'll be gone. And you'll go, what just happened? So as I left that day, it struck me that little had changed in the recruit training and the fundamentals that are taught there, and that little has changed in the fundamentals of the Christian life. There are certain things that we must do that are just essential to our survival as Christians. And so the first sermon uh, of this year is a time to remind us to ask the question of what am I, what are we, parents, couples, church, doing to prepare to run the race of 2023 well. And let me tell you what this sermon is not. I saw a blogger named Kevin DeYoung. He had uh, been in the church for years, and, uh, and he reminded me of the 
kind of the old style sermons you heard at New Year's, you know. I don't want to add guilt, which that happened a lot in the first week of, first month of the new year. And I don't, tell, I don't want to tell you that you need to give more, do more, and sacrifice more. No, that's not the point of this. The point, I think, of this sermon is to challenge you and myself to look at what's ahead and invest in what's most important. Never heard a working parent ever say, I wish I would have spent more time at work. Never have heard that. I think it's also to ch challenge us to live the way of the Samaritan. I got a chance to speak on that during Advent. Seeing needs, feeling the need, and meeting the need. It reminds us that there are two possible races in life to run. One with her eyes fixed on Jesus, and the other, the way of the fool, according to Proverbs, where the writer says, fools are headstrong and do what they like. Wise people take advice. Fools have short fuses and explode all too quickly. The prudent quietly shrug off insults. Truthful witness by a good person clears the air, but liars lay down a smokescreen of deceit. Rash language cuts and maims, but there is a healing in the words of the wise. Truth lasts, lies are here today and gone tomorrow. And two more. One is this, remind you that your stories matter more than doctrine at times. Your stories matter more than doctrine at times. When you sit at the kitchen table with kids or you've sat there with other people and you listen to stories, the scripture and the, the Bible comes alive. And the other thing this is going to do is I'm going to give you an assignment in the first point. So you have something to do when you leave today. Uh, and I've got, of course, a group of books that I'm going to recommend through the sermon, which I always do. So... Yahoo, I'm excited. Anyway, <laughs> so the question for us is how do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Well, I want to work through verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12 and address four themes in the order that they're mentioned. These themes are, they all interrelate. You can't separate them too cleanly. And because our faith is so relational, these themes course through the whole book of Hebrews. There are many challenges to running the race and Hebrews 12 identifies hindrances, not sinful things necessarily, which, can, which are self-caused sometimes, and other hindrances, circumstances from the outside, which come in on our lives during the week, during the year, during the day, and we need to be able to look at them correctly and don't let them control us. And of course, the writer says, we need to identify sin and be able to address it well, and there is sin that easily entangles each one of us. Many times it remains hidden. And the enemy, we must remember, has attacks, has schemes, I should say, to attack us. The race at times, the scripture talks about, is one of agony, loss, sickness, failure, and death. Perseverance is what's required to combat weariness and loss of heart. Friday of the... Uh, yeah, December 23, just about a week and a half ago, uh, I sat with what I call three seasoned grandfathers from our church because I wanted to ask them, using the book of Hebrews as your platform, what would you communicate to your grandson or granddaughter at the age of 16? And uh, some of what I'll talk about this morning is influenced by that conversation. We were there for 90 minutes. And it was 
unbelievable to sit and listen to guys. Uh, well, I, I'll say this. To get into this, you had to have this that's called gray or platinum <laughs> or have none. <laughs> so all men who sat at the table, most of them had this, one had none. So we, we, we felt bad. Anyway, <laughs> so it was pretty, pretty cool to sit and talk with those guys. So let me start with the first theme. And the first theme is this. Stories count more than we know. From 1991 to 94, I was stationed at Cape May as a chaplain. Uh, and it was a good tour because our family came back to where the state I was born in. And my grandparents, as we call them Nanny and Poppy, lived about three hours north of Cape May. And we got a chance as a family to visit them pretty regularly. In March of 93, I got a call from my Nana. And she said Poppy had passed away. He was 99 years old, 11 months and 9 days. <laughs> I promised myself. Anyway, <laughs> he had been married to my Nana for 40 years. They were set up on a blind date as a 60-year-old. I didn't know they did that then. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and I think I can say that in my mind, he officially became part of the great cloud of witnesses when he crossed. Shucks. <laughs> Come on, James. Okay, he had outlived two other wives, and his only son had been killed in World War II. Sometime in the late 40s, the Lord had found Harry Kranz, Poppy, and then... My grandparents were married the year I was born, 1953. That's a, oh, that's a smoker, I know that. But anyway, he was a kind and gentle man. He signed his letters. When they did write letters <laughs> to me, remember who loves you, the Lord and I. His story brought significant hope to our family. Hebrews 6, which we sang, the anchor, uh, speaks of the hope of our hope in Christ being the anchor for our soul. We knew as a family where Poppy's hope was because it entered the inner sanctuary and provided the strength to run the race until he was 100 years old. In conversations with Poppy just before he died, probably be 97, he told me that he always began reading, he always began his day reading the Bible. And I foolishly said, uh, have you ever missed a day? And he stood there and looked at me, and he said, nope, and uh, had been a believer probably 37 years by then. And so he goes into his study. He pulls out his large print KJV, which was almost the only text they had at the time, <laughs> took out a magnifying glass, and went to work on his daily reading. His hope in the midst of horrible circumstances shaped my hope. So less than three months later, on Mother's Day of 1993, I had the privilege of speaking at Camp David, the presidential retreat. Uh, I was one of three chaplains uh, being sent there to interview for the position of the chaplain at Camp David. And to be honest, when I got the call, I didn't even know there was a Camp David. <laughs> they called and said, you've been selected to go interview at Camp David. I'm like, what is that? Where is that? Well, it's in Thurmont, Maryland. Where's that? Nowhere. But... Um, but you were assigned it, and I'm like, okay. So I got Mother's Day, and uh, away I went. Part of that process was a three-day interview 
with a psychologist and the executive officer of that command. And one of the questions they posed in this two-day interview with him, I should say, was, so you're in the hospital. There is a person on your right and left. The one on your left is someone from your past who has died, and the one on your right is someone who's alive today. Who are they? Why would you pick them? And I'm like, oh, that's easy. And I told the story of Poppy. It was a wonderful opportunity to share his life with a psychologist. And then my other guy was my mentor pastor from seminary. So memory shared of a faithful person's journey communicates the hope that is an anchor for our soul. Let me read Hebrews 6, 17 through 19 to you. Uh, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it in an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The power of a life well-lived is of enormous value in many ways more important than doctrine. We can study the book and get real smart and big words, but unless it's lived before us, we don't catch it well. So your life, I believe, matters more than you realize. I want to suggest that um, you, we plan to create memories with family and friends. We can plan those. My mother was a great planner. We're going out west, okay, and that was a memory of three weeks in the back of a station wagon and all those things that happened that has stuck with our family for years. Memories of hunting, fishing, traveling, sports, hiking, being present at games. I still think my, my butt is still flat from sitting at all these basketball and volleyball games my oldest daughter played in for years. Um, and so our lives are memory makers. So here's your assignment for today. Pick a person who has influenced you much in your faith and write it down. Okay, so if you don't do this now, you're going to forget, but I'll let you go. Anyway, so pick a person who has influenced you in your faith and write it down. And then pick one word that you would use to describe their influence, just as a starter. And then share it at lunch today. Just talk. Hey, what do you got? Ah, this is the person. This is who has influenced me, has been one of those witnesses and made a difference in, in my life. So three books for your reading pleasure, and I can send you the list. One is R.C. Sproul, A Life. It just came out. It's, his bi it's a uh, biography about him. A fellow named Stephen Nichols wrote it, so R.C. Sproul, A Life. Another book that John and I and some of us have read this year is called The Pastor by Eugene Peterson. It's his journey planting a church and leading it for 30 years. And then the last is a book called A Burning in My Bones. It's the authorized bio of Eugene Peterson. So if, if you're looking to read uh, something about people's lives who have made a difference, there's a couple for you. So theme number two is lifelong learners complete the race well. I retired in the Navy in 2005, um, uh, and I wanted to teach. Um, the problem was I was 50 years old and had no experience. And trying to get into a university is very, very difficult. 
My family had moved from Tennessee, no, moved to Tennessee from California to work in a church, kind of in an executive pastor role. And in 14, and 14 months later, I found myself on the outside, not in that role, last hired, first fired. <laughs> so we're there in Tennessee, uh, looked for some teaching positions. I'm desperate because I have two kids in college, one in high school, and um, I found a school looking for an, ad, for an adjunct faculty member called Union University. I called, interviewed about a month, and about a month later, I followed up, I thought, with the lady who I interviewed with, and I found out she had quit. I'm like, oh, this is great, <laughs> five or six weeks later, and I'm back in the beginning again. I checked the school's website, found out her job was listed. An important requirement was a PhD. I had just gotten one of those, so I applied and got a call a day or so later that said, sorry, you missed the deadline. <laughs> I'm like, great, by a day. I'm like, okay. But the chair of the department said she needed a class taught in Corinth, Mississippi, which is about 70 miles east of um, Memphis. And I really didn't understand that this was an adult education program, but I'm desperate. So I said, I'll take it, having no idea what it was. And so she said, uh, well, she goes, I'll have the textbook to you in two weeks. And by the way, the class starts in two weeks. And the class is four hours, once a week, Tuesday morning from 8 to 12. Took me an hour and a half to drive there. And as I did a little more research, I found out that these students were from Caterpillar, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, tractor manufacturers. And they were coming off the midnight shift. And I'm like, ho, 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 ho. This is going to be something. Eight to 12 with people who have been working, you know, building these Caterpillar tractors. So the first time I met them, they came in. They didn't look good. Uh, and I said, hey, let me make a deal with you. I said, I'll make the coffee, and we'll stand for the, first, for the four hours of the class. What do you think? They're like, oh, we love that idea. So for those six weeks, I taught a class in personal finance, which I had really no idea what to teach. But I got the book. I learned it. And it began my academic journey. Halfway through that, I got a call one day from her husband, uh, who turned out he's the, um, yeah, he was the dean of the business school. And I'm like, he called me, he goes, can you teach MBA ethics? And I'm like, I'm desperate. You bet I can. <laughs> and I'm thinking, good Lord, this ain't going to, well, whatever. So, okay, we'll call you back. We'll interview two hours later and get called back, interview for an hour. And they said, you got the job. And I'm on to go, no way. <laughs> so that was much the same. But this was an evening class, eight weeks. Uh, it was from 6 to 10 and three weeks to prepare. And Jim has no business experience. I mean, I went to seminary. I got a degree in psychology and divinity <laughs> and, and a PhD in leadership. But what? MBA ethics? So 20 hours a week for four hours instruction is what it took to to make it through that class for the first, first eight weeks. It was quite the experience. And to be honest, I taught that for, eight, for five years after that. And it was probably the best class I've ever taught because I just didn't know anything and had to learn so much. But what I was introduced to during this time was a, the world of Andra Gaji, okay? Andra Gaji, which... I don't say it right, but every time I ask somebody else, they say it as bad as I do. But anyway, andragogy is a method and practice of teaching adult learners as opposed to pedagogy. There you go, goji, I got it. The method and practice of teaching traditional 
K through college students. And as I learned about adult learners, what I learned about them is they were far more motivated than many times better than their uh, contemporary younger, younger students because they'd been trained in the school of hard knocks. They knew promotions required a bachelor's degree and they had sat in a seat for, for years watching people get promoted while they had no, no degree. So, what we, so when the point says lifelong learners complete the race well, it's because lifelong learners are motivated to learn. And Christian lifetime learners should be motivated even more because it's the truth. And one of the other interesting aspects about adult learning theory was that adults learn better together. They don't like to be alone. They want to sit around a table and chew on the subjects and learn from each other. And we'll talk about that in point three in just a minute. So lifelong learners understand the importance of their Christian growth and pursue learning to understand the hindrances to their faith through study, reflection, and instruction. There is an expectation of Scripture that we can't miss that we should mature in our faith as we live the Christian life. However, in the lives of the people that this author of Hebrews is writing to, that was not the case. This is Hebrews chapter 5. Um, let me read It'll be up on the screen here in a moment. The writer says this, um, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you, are no, you no longer try to understand. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Interesting thing going on here in the Hebrews' lives. These were young Christians who had come out of the Jewish faith. There was a great deal of pressure of them to compromise. And the points, many points in Hebrews is that Jesus is better than the Old Testament. He's better than Moses. He's better than all these things. Um, one of the things in Hebrews 7 is that Jesus is better than any human priest because he lives forever. There was a pull back into the old faith because of the persecution from within their own culture and then persecution from, from Rome. The other thing that was very important in the midst of the text is that there is no longer any need for blood sacrifices because Jesus' blood is better because he was perfect and offered himself for us so that our consciences would be permanently cleansed. These Jews knew very well when they went to the temple they bought the animal, it was placed on the altar, and many times they were there when it was killed. They would have their hands on the animal, the priest would slit its throat, the blood would run out, and they would feel the animal die because the life is in the blood. And they would just understand, wow. And as soon as they walked out of the temple, out of that place, they would feel guilty again. And Jesus' sacrifice 
the writer says, is much, much better than that. So I think we can say that good practices based on excellent theology is our goal. And so my question for us is, what are your, what are my practices going to be this year? Hopefully this past year, we've grown. What will be different this year? What needs tweaking, recalibration, or readjustment? One of the things I thought about, and I've talked to my daughter, who has our two grandchildren, is will she let me know what she wants, Griffin, especially since he's five, to, to model and to learn this year so I can help her not <laughs> help her reinforcing the positive and not the negative, which I would love to do probably. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, just how can I help her and Griffin and her husband Andrew grow together? And so we're getting some of that information over the next, next few weeks. Couple books for you. Here we go. Okay. Uh, Paul Tripp <laughs> has a new book called Do You Believe? It's 12 Historic Doctrines to Change Your Everyday Life. Please don't fall asleep with that title, okay? Let me tell you why this book I think is so cool. Uh, Paul Tripp has written this book, covers the 12 major doctrines, and he only spends 10 pages on each doctrine. If you've seen some doc, like Wayne Grudem, have you ever seen that book? Man, that's like an anchor. I mean, that thing is huge. Wayne doesn't spend 10 pages on anything, I don't think, but, uh, <laughs> but he spends 10 pages, then he spends 20 to 30 pages on the application. So what? So what does it mean for Scripture to be God's Word? You, we can get that. Okay, that's what it says. Here the, you know, here are the references. Here's this. But what difference does it mean to me? And that's the strength of the book. You'll read about the doctrine and go, okay, I got somewhat of a handle on it. But now he's going to tell you why it matters. And it's just, just a fabulous, fabulous read. And the other book uh, called Habits of the Household by a fellow named Justin Early. And it's practicing the story of God in everyday family rhythms. So practicing the story of God in everyday family rhythms. It's just a great read. I would encourage parents, grab the book and Check it out. I think he's done a very, very good, good job. So theme three in Hebrews 12 is this. The race was never meant to be run alone. And uh, understanding who Jesus is as a people, as we, us, is emphasized by the number of plurals found in these verses and in the rest of Hebrews. And I tried this last night, but I didn't have time. But, and I don't think I'll go back and do it either. But I have a a physical concordance. Anybody have one of those anymore? It's really big. It's even bigger than Wayne Grudem's book. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and it's really thick, and it's every word in the Bible, you know, all that stuff. So I thought, I, my, people in my RC know that I like to count plurals and number of words in different passages and Hebrews, and some of the passages in Hebrews is just us, 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 we, we, we. You, it's like rich just in the number of those. So I thought, Way in the back of this concordance, they have all the us's in the Bible. So I'm digging, 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 and I lost count at 75. I'm like, forget this. And then I went and looked at the we's. That was even worse, so I didn't even count them. But uh, my point is that the plurals in the book of Hebrews, and even in this text, tell us that we need to run the race together. We cannot run it alone. There are some warnings in the early part of Hebrews that... Um, 
that can help us focus on this. The first one is a warning in chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so we do not drift away. Notice we. He includes, the writer includes himself in that admonition to those, to those people. And um, the second one is this. It's in Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So even in the early part of the book, the encouragement is to fix their thoughts on Jesus, who we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Verses and experiences um, help us when we begin to stumble. They encourage us to run the race together based on truth. We are to remember, remind, and encourage one another of these things when we meet. Consider these verses from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 to 25. The writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. You can count them later, but there's a lot of us's and we's and to go together in those, short, in those six verses. So the question I have and have an answer to is, where do we find fellowship? Where do we find that here at Redemption Peoria? And Charles, I think he's here, or he'll be here next service, but one of them is through an RC, okay, Redemption Community, meeting some meet weekly, some meet three times a month, some meet every other week, but they're different uh, in, in the times they meet. But sometimes schedules, when you have little ones, interfere with that. So, okay, I can't, do an, I can't be in an RC. I would suggest, how about serving together on our greeting team, whom you meet every morning when you come in? Uh, Summer Wallstrom runs the children's ministry. You can volunteer for a trimester. Our coffee team needs help setting up and tearing down during the second service. They're very quiet, I must say that. So, um, yeah, where do you find it? We have ways and opportunities for you to, to get involved in fellowship with others. So if you have questions, see John, I, or Charles, and we'll be glad to, uh, to hook you up. Another book is this, uh, and I won't talk much about it, but I'll recommend it to you. It's a book called God's Hostage, written by a pastor named Andrew Brunson, who was held for 700 days in Turkey in uh, 1993 to 95. Um, I had a chance to meet him in Alaska a couple of years ago. And what intrigued me about him was the fact that he and his wife were arrested. There was a coup in Turkey, and he was somehow implicated, at least the government thought so. His wife was released quickly after, maybe a week she was in jail. 
but he was held for 700 days in prison, most of that time isolated from everybody. And Brunson talked about how near, um, I'll say near death he felt at times, how he considered suicide because he just didn't see anybody. He was able to see Noreen once a week for an hour, but that was it. And between the head games of the guards, uh, you know, slamming doors, pouring water on him, all these things, it was just a time of great desperation. And this is a quote from part of the book, um, is that many stories we read of missionaries and other people who have been put in prison for their faith tell of the great joy they found in Jesus' presence, the amazing uplifting they've had after being stuck in such a difficult position. And this was not Brunson's experience at all. Whatever you do, Brunson said, whatever you do, Lord, or do not do, I will follow you. And I would highly commend that book to you because it's a great read of a fellow who just ran some hard times by himself, which occasionally we have to do. So our last theme is this. Theme four is running the race successfully requires us to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's kind of like, oh, we're back to that. We are. We've come full circle. So if running the race requires us to fix our eyes on Jesus, what's your plan for 2023? From the context of the book of Hebrews, we know that these Jewish believers, Christians, were being heavily confronted by their relatives, friends, and religious culture to return to the Old Testament style of worship. They were beginning to waver in their commitment to Christ. They were being challenged to compromise their faith, to give it up and return. We do not live in a time where believers are outwardly condemned and chased after. But our culture hardly can be called Christian. There are challenging ways, days ahead, that it would be wise for us to prepare for. Let me suggest another book. <laughs> it's called Wisdom from Babylon, Leadership for the Church in the Secular Age. The author is a Canadian. He's a president of a seminary. And I think many people would say that Canada is 10 years ahead of us in the slide away from the gospel and away from things of faith. So I would commend that book to you. Uh, it sounded very interesting, and it was a very interesting read um, about how we're going to survive in a culture that is, is um, building and building against us believers and in uh, what we're going to face ahead. So as you, as you plan your spiritual race, what are the challenges you faced last year that need to be addressed this year? What circumstances can you anticipate? I mean, I don't know if it's, we can do that, but if we know that people are sick, um, uh, they, these things come to us. Uh, this year, my brother, his name is, uh, I'll just leave it, my brother and his wife, uh, she was found about three, three months ago. Uh, she couldn't swallow. Turned out she had lineal stomach cancer. And uh, after eight, eight weeks uh, or so of chemo, she had her stomach removed 15 days ago. And now her esophagus is, attacked, is, is attached to her small intestine. So is that a circumstance that came, came out of the blue? You betcha. Healthy, doing well, enjoying life and retirement. And now uh, she's in a recovery mode. The, um, her survival rate of that kind of cancer is 4 to 6% in the next uh, four years, years two to five. So a huge circumstance. 
So what thoughts or behaviors need to be addressed? What memories need to be put to death and others created? What do you need to do to fix your eyes on Jesus? Jesus is the chosen one of God to communicate to us God's will and desire. I have shared in the past how important lighthouses were to me when I was navigating on the Atlantic or on Lake Michigan or Lake Huron. Being able to maintain a contact with an unchangeable, unmovable object was the difference between life and death in some of the search and rescue cases I ran. The language in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12 is priceless to us as we run the race. The witnesses motivate us with the memories of their stories. We understand that the race is long and difficult at times. Gethsemane is a memory worthy of all our reflection. Father, take this cup from me, but not my will but yours be done. Yet Jesus, the scripture tells us, could see with an eternal perspective the joy his sacrifice would bring. We understand there will be distractions from the enemy trying to derail us and throw us off course and hindrances that will draw our attention away, our hearts and minds away. And we all need to remember the armor of God and the the strength that that gives us as we put it on. And if we're all honest, as we look back on our lives, there are more than a few here who have left the race and stepped off a time or two as we've been growing in our faith. But Jesus' call is to come follow him and to come to him when we're weary and burdened, constantly brought to mind through the Holy Spirit. Your journey stories are essential to the next generation. I cannot tell you that enough. 2022 held many surprises for us. Some were more startling than others and more mundane. Um, Some began in 2022 and will continue forward into 2023. The one thing I can guarantee you is that surprises are coming, but we face those together as a community, encouraging one another to run the race well and to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have talked in the past about how we start our very early mornings. Um, Do you take, we've asked the question, uh, a few minutes as you swing your legs out of bed perhaps to focus your thoughts on the Lord. Now that's not for everybody, and I understand that, but is there something you do to go, hey Lord, I'm walking with you, I'm going to fix, I, I, I don't know, but if you do, then great, and if you don't, here's an idea. <laughs> I'm wondering if we took verses one through three and put them on a three by five card, taping it on your mirror in the bathroom or by the coffee pot, What difference would it make for us to remember those verses every day for the next 364, because this one will be over pretty soon? What difference would it make? Let me show you Eugene Peterson's translation of Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. This might be one that you uh, would like, or take it out of the ESV or the NIV, whatever. But Eugene Peterson says this, Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. 
no extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. So it's a thought that you might want to look at over the next days ahead. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Thanks for the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know who it is. Uh, Father, for a person who was faithful to you as he put this book together to encourage his brothers and sisters in the faith to run the race well. Father, he obviously understood, or the writer obviously understood, uh, the struggles that they had been in and the struggles that were ahead. Lord, help us this year to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to run the race with faithfulness in the community of Christ here at Redemption Peoria. Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen.